Welcome to Spirit in Action. My name is Mark Helpsmeet, and each week we bring you visits and conversations with people doing healing work for this world, hearing what they're doing and what inspires them and supports them in doing it. Welcome to Spirit in Action. We're in that cooling off time of late fall, but we've got some really heartwarming and life-enhancing news here today for Spirit in Action via Peterson Toscano and CCR. That's Citizens Climate Radio, not Creedence Clearwater Revival, as folks of my generation might be tempted to guess. Peterson and his crew are bringing a heap of special delights with him today as they guest host Spirit in Action with folks working for the earth in a rich diversity of ways, including books, court battles, TikTok videos, and much more. There's also a variety of guests from the little known like Elizabeth Roosh to the very well known like Daryl Hannah. One further feature of today's CCR contribution for Spirit in Action is that Peterson is sharing his microphone with some of his co-workers, and the mix is all the more potent for it. Peterson will cue you in on the details as he guest hosts for us today. Over to you, Peterson. Thank you, Mark, and thank you for listening to this episode of Spirit in Action. I am Peterson Toscano, and what a show I have for you today. Actress Daryl Hannah will join us to tell us about an elaborate spoof she played on the Mattel Corporation. Uh, they're the makers of the Barbie doll and lots of other toys that are made out of petroleum-based plastics. Daryl, Hannah, and a group of tricksters made an announcement on the behalf of Mattel that they're going plastic-free in 2030. Their campaign made national headlines. And in this episode, you're going to hear my exclusive interview with Daryl Hannah in the second half of our show. And yes, I was very giddy chatting with her. You're also going to meet two people who are using personal storytelling and comedy to connect with audiences about environmental issues on TikTok. With his background in art history, Cyrus Ferguson has created a TikTok persona who so earnestly talks about found objects on the streets of New York City. It's hilarious. His series, Unintentional Art Analysis, gets hundreds of thousands of views. Cyrus will share with us the secret sauce that makes his videos so compelling. But first, my team and I here at Citizens Climate Radio want to tell you about three new books that talk about climate change in unexpected ways. Lawrence McDonald's book is geared towards boomers, and the many ways they can effectively engage in climate work. It may just be the perfect gift to give to an older friend or a family member, or it might be for you. Elizabeth Rush outlines the true story of 21 young people who are suing the U.S. government for the inaction on climate. They refuse to take no for an answer. And to start us off, team member Karina Taylor interviewed the author of a new book, about the California coast. And even if you're landlocked, you are going to want to hear the expert tips the author gives about storytelling and about connecting with people in your own community. Thank you, Peterson. I may be from Florida, but Rosanna Shah's new book, California Against the Sea, Visions for Our Vanishing Coastlines, tells stories that hit close to home. Rosanna is an environmental reporter for the LA Times who specializes in the ocean and coast. She has mastered storytelling 
In this book, she uses her skills to tackle one of California's most daunting problems, sea level rise. Rosanna introduces the reader to dozens of people all along the California coastline. She told the stories of people experiencing sea level rise in ways that hit my head, heart, and gut. This is not a dry book with nonstop facts and figures. Instead, Rosanna brings together a community of vibrant stories and memorable people. Rosanna took a moment from her book tour and reporting for the LA Times to meet with us. She tells us about the big themes that emerge in the book. She also shares expert tips for the work we do as climate advocates, connecting with the public and public officials. Oh, and she talks about hope. How much hope should we include in our stories? Can sharing too much hope make people complacent? And is there some other feeling we need to stir up that will have a much bigger impact? I actually grew up in Massachusetts. I live in Los Angeles today. It's really amazing that I cover the coast for the LA Times now because I didn't grow up going to the beach that often. And I think that's something that you'll see in the book in terms of themes of access and who actually has the privilege of accessing the coast, enjoying the coast, and growing up with this like love for the ocean. Because for me, the love for the ocean was truly found and it discovered, and I really discovered it pretty late in life. The book is titled California Against the Sea, Visions for Our Vanishing Coastline. I mean, it's a book about sea level rise in California. But what I tell folks is it's about so much more than that, because the, our relationship to the ocean and how we have built our coastline and how we want to maintain our coastline going into the future ends up being a story that really unpacks our land use history, which is intimately connected to our social history and also our environmental history. I really wanted to write a book that was entirely about California, where we can go across this 1,200 mile shoreline and look at so many different communities and topographies and geographies and really just think about all the nuances of this conversation, this issue that, you know, tends to get oversimplified. And I often read books about climate change where California is just one chapter in a broader book about an issue. And yeah, there's just a really complex story to be told through just the communities in California in a way that I think will resonate with any coastal community in this country and across the world. When I first submitted my manuscript to my book editor and she read just the entirety of what I was trying to write, she said, wow, this feels like such an incredible blend of old school journalism, radical listening, and deep hanging out. If you go into an interview or you reach out to someone with kind of a preconceived notion or judgment of what they're going to say or how they're going to fit into the story, you're not, your first conversation isn't just to listen and to ask questions on, why are you afraid to talk to me? What are you nervous about? What are you worried about? I, I think there are different ways to open a conversation. And this, and this is also with people that you might not agree with. This is with people who might not be used to sharing their stories to someone. Because again, I think also it's so important to be aware of what it means to parachute into a community, extract their stories and information, and take it somewhere where they don't know what you're going to do with that information. So really kind of putting yourself in the other person's, not just shoes, but their vulnerability, proactively attending to that. So you know whether it is an underserved community that has been overlooked and forgotten and you know never been treated with respect like you know understanding what it feels like what it feels like to have a reporter come into your community the first time to ask these questions and even if my intentions are well-meaning you need to really build trust first so that first interview you know you have to be aware that 
that's not your first and only interview. You have to come back. There is so much power in stopping by and then coming back a second, a third, a fourth time to a community. And by like the fifth time you're talking to someone, that's when the magic happens. Empathy and radical listening, I think truly is the way to begin these conversations and truly, truly, truly believing that every single person on every side of the issue has a voice and a purpose in this story. So the question I get all the time, kind of in like climate journalism spaces, when I'm speaking in, you know, environmental communication classes at universities, is the how much hope do you leave the reader with in the story? I've started to call it the hope question in my head. And, And it's a valid question because if you put too much hope into a story, People get complacent. They they don't feel the urgency. And it's like, you know, you grip them with a story, you introduce them to an issue, but then they don't feel like they put down the story and they have to act now. So too much hope kind of leads to the sense of complacency. Not enough hope also leads to a sense of fatalism and inaction. So if you don't sprinkle in enough hope in a story, that also is not productive. I realize that hope is not the emotion that I should be indexing on. It's actually the feeling of responsibility. How do I write stories that leave the reader with a feeling of responsibility and duty to act? Like, I almost don't care how much hope or despair you have, but we should all feel responsible to do something after we put the story down, after we put the book down. This responsibility to act, to truly acknowledge that change is coming, change has been happening, and we need to change with it. And we need to truly reconsider the systems that got us here in the first place, and that some of these changes will be difficult. Some of these changes will call for sacrifice. But in order to feel responsible and to feel a duty to act on these needs takes courage. And so Courage and responsibility are truly the two emotions that I feel like are my guiding beacons in the way I write these stories. And so oftentimes I tell folks, you know, when you're writing a story, you have to think about at the end, what do you want the reader to think, but also what do you want the reader to feel? And so those two questions, I think, are really great grounding questions to ask yourself as a communicator in terms of how you're delivering the message. That was Rosanna Shaw. She wrote the book, California Against the Sea, Visions for Our Vanishing Coastlines. It is available wherever you get books. I encourage you to read Rosanna's reporting in the Los Angeles Times at latimes.com. You can also follow her on Twitter and Instagram. I put links in our show notes for you. Just go to cclusa.org radio. Now I welcome my CCR team member, Horace Mo. Thanks, Karina. Hi, I'm Horace. Karina and I recently spoke with Elizabeth Rush. She's the author of several books, including You Call This Democracy? It was a finalist for the Yalsa Award for Excellence in Nonfiction for Young Adults. Elizabeth has published nearly two dozen acclaimed books for children and young adults. Some of her titles include The Next Wave, The Quest to Harness the Power of the Oceans, Impact, Asteroids and the Science of Saving the World, and Muddy Max, The Mystery of Marsh Creek. This is the first of her action-packed middle-grade graphic novel series. Besides all the phenomenal work she has already accomplished, 
Karina and I interviewed Elizabeth about her recent publication, *The 21: The True Story of the Youth Who Sued the U.S. Government Over Climate Change*. In her book, *The 21*, Elizabeth has documented eight years of the ongoing case of Juliana versus United States of America. So far, this lawsuit has passed through three presidential administrations. Elizabeth Rush's writing is insightful and well documented, as she tracked the case and spent time with the young people who refused to take no for an answer. Karina and I were amazed by the inspiring work of the 21 plaintiffs and their resiliency. Not only should more people pay attention to the case, we believe anyone reading Elizabeth's book will be inspired to do great things. A lot of these young people、um, joined the case as a way to do something about the horrible things that were happening in their life, but they, you know, they're they're starting from a place of trauma. I think that the young people get a lot of strength from each other, strength and inspiration from each other. So there's Levi, whose childhood home in Florida. Is going to be underwater in his lifetime from sea level rise. He's had to evacuate from his home twice.、Um, Jaden and her siblings were stranded and sickened by rising waters from a freak flood、um, in Louisiana. Jamie and her mom were driven off their native land by severe drought in Arizona. The heart of the case is that the U.S. Constitution gives us the right to life, liberty, and property. And basically, they're arguing that you can't have life, liberty, and property when you can't breathe from wildfire smoke, when you're endangered by massive wildfires, hurricanes, floods, and drought. The other thing that they're arguing is that they're not saying that the government should do more about climate change, which they should do. They're actually saying that the government. Is responsible and liable for this fossil fuel energy system that we've created. If the court declares that they have a constitutional right to a stable climate, and that the federal government has been、um, their actions have been unconstitutional for basically the past fifty years, then the federal government has to stop. They have to stop permitting. Drilling on federal public lands, permitting imports and exports, permitting pipelines, and permitting subsidizing fossil fuels, and that is huge. More than twenty-five percent of U.S. emissions come from fossil fuels that come from federal public lands. So, simply getting the federal government out of the business of supporting the fossil fuel energy system could be the biggest step forward in climate change that we have ever seen. I have found learning about this case and tracking this case to be both maddening and inspiring.、Um, I guess I'll start with maddening first. <laughs>、um, so the case was filed in 2015. It was originally filed against the Obama administration.、Um, it has been passed on to the Trump administration and is now、um, with the Biden administration. And all three administrations have actively opposed the case. But、they didn't have to do that. They don't have to oppose the case. Any one of those administrations could say yes. Young people do have a constitutional right to a stable climate, and yes, government should get out of the business of supporting、um, fossil fuels through permitting and subsidies and、um, all the ways that the federal government supports fossil fuel. 
Watching the hearings and watching the government lawyers say that the kids have no right to go to trial, that um, basically that that the youth don't deserve a trial, that it's up to the legislature and the executive to decide what to do about climate change is infuriating. And what is amazing to me is that more people don't know about this case and don't realize that these kids have put together this compelling case, the lawyers put together this compelling case, that they've been winning rulings, they've gone much further than anybody ever expected them to go. They've been up to the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals several times and have won. They've been up to the U.S. Supreme Court several times and they have won. They have won their most recent ruling and they're on their way to trial. And if they win, it could change everything. I mean, kids, they can't vote. They have no voice in the legislative branch and in the executive branch. Constitutional rights are at stake. So they really need the courts to tell the federal government that their actions are unconstitutional. And it's really infuriating to hear administration after administration stand up and say that the courts don't have a role, that the kids don't have any say in this dangerous climate crisis that is so affecting their lives. I mean, I think the the number one thing that needs to happen is that the administrations need to get out of the way of these young people. They need to, to take these cases seriously and they need to settle them. I feel like we adults need kids to tell us the obvious. And the obvious is that all citizens do have a constitutional right to a stable climate. There is no life, no liberty, and no property without a stable climate. And their government, our government, should not be allowed to continue to contribute to this problem. That was Elizabeth Rush talking about her new book, The 21, The True Story of the Youth Who Sued the U.S. Government Over Climate Change. It is available wherever books are sold. You can keep up with The 21 and their case at ourchildrenstrust.org. You can also read Elizabeth's other works at elizabethrush.com. Rush is spelled R-U-S-C-H. I also put links in the show notes for you over at cclusa.org slash radio. Coming up, writer Lawrence McDonald asks, Am I too old to save the planet? He has strong words for fellow boomers and practical steps they can take to address climate change. Spoiler alert, he is a big fan of Citizens Climate Lobby. Hi, it's Horace again. Which generation is most responsible for causing climate change? How can different generations unite together to take on climate change? You will find answers in my conversation with Lawrence McDonald, a former foreign correspondent and communication professional. Lawrence spent two decades serving as the vice president of communications at two global think tanks, the World Resource Institute and the Center for Global Development. He has years of experience addressing climate change. 
Now, he is determined to mobilize other boomers who were born between 1946 and 1964. Though he is retired, he just published his first book, "Am I Too Old to Save the Planet?" A Boomer's Guide to Climate Action. It is a self-help guidebook for older Americans who are concerned or alarmed by the climate crisis. In my conversation with Lawrence and reading his book, I admire his undeniable obligation for climate action. He shares passionately about why it is important for him and other boomers to join the front line of fighting climate change. This book is specifically intended for boomers, people who still have the most power and influence in current U.S. society. Even so, Lawrence helps younger people like me will use his book. To help us connect with older Americans about climate change. Now, let's hear from Lawrence McDonald as he shares his inspiration to write his book and his mission to get every boomer on board. Boris, thank you for inviting me on the show. I'm a big fan of CCL and、uh, Peterson Toscano,、uh, the host of this show in particular. Pleased to meet you. I have felt for a long time that my generation, the Boomers, those of us born from 1946 to 1963, are uniquely responsible for climate change, and that that responsibility should drive us to connect with our youthful ideals and to become part of the solution. We held power during the period when climate change went from a manageable problem to a planetary emergency. We elected the politicians. We ran all the universities. We ran all the banks. We ran all the institutions. And I'm a middle boomer. I'm born in 1954. I remember the actions to stop the war in Vietnam. I remember the first Earth Day.、Uh, I was on the periphery of both the feminist movement and the gay rights movement. Th- those were my heroes. But somehow, when we came of age. We dropped the ball, and we dropped the ball because we got distracted and selfish. And our slogans "Be here now" and "Don't trust anyone over 30" weren't very helpful. But also, we were lied to by the fossil fuel companies. And so we failed to take action, and now it's become a catastrophe. And that's why I think that we have a unique responsibility to act. I think it's inappropriate for old people like me to be giving advice to young generations, given that we dropped the ball. But I will tell you how I think my book can be useful to young people. My book is specifically for older people, the millions of us who are worried about climate change and wondering what to do. And Horace, I bet that a lot of your listeners, young people like you who are in university or recently graduated and in the workforce, They have people they love who aren't doing enough. Their parents, their grandparents, and they don't really want to bring it up because it's kind of accusatory. It's like you go home for Thanksgiving and say, "Hey, mom and dad," or "Hey, grand- grandpa and grandma, did you really screw up? And you left me a non-livable planet. Can we please talk about that?" That's not an easy conversation to have. But what you can do is order my book, take it home for Thanksgiving, give it as a present. And say, you know, that I've been thinking about climate change. I'm sure you're thinking about it too. We don't have many opportunities to discuss it. Would you please do me a favor? Between now and the end of the year holidays, when I'm coming back, read this book. I'm eager to hear what you think about it. And then wait a few weeks, and then send them a text and say, "Hey, Ma, 
Did you open the book yet? Hey, Grandma, what do you think? Have you read chapter one? Remind them so that you don't blindside them when you come back for the end of the year, whether it's Christmas or Hanukkah or whatever holiday you're celebrating, you come back, they will have read it because they know you're going to ask them about it. Then you can have a conversation. Even now, the 70 million boomers are the most powerful generation in the country. We determine the election outcomes. We control 70% of the country's wealth. And we know it's a big problem. The number of us who are acting, there's more all the time, but it's probably in the tens of thousands. It needs to be in the tens of millions. And that's how your listeners can help make that happen. Recruit their parents and their grandparents to become part of this movement to save the planet. In the 90s, there was a lot of interest in individual action. And I have in my book a chapter called Every Little Bit Helps, right? And I recommend things like eating a plant-based diet, um, installing rooftop solar, driving less and walking and biking more. Those are good things to do. But we've reached a point where individual action is going to be too little too late. And so we really need collective action to have rapid policy change. And that's one of the reasons that I am actually a big admirer of Citizens Climate Lobby. The idea of carbon fee and dividend, I think, is a very powerful driver uh, for action. And it's going to need a bipartisan consensus. And one of the wonderful things about CCL is the way you have people all over the country, including people in deep red states, who are willing to engage with Republican politicians and persuade them. And so we need groups all across the spectrum, from groups like Citizens Climate Lobby that are willing to work behind the scenes quietly with conservatives, to groups like Climate Defiance who are in people's face saying, why did you sign off on this project? My generation was called the me generation. It's all about what's in it for me. What's in it for you is you will make new friends and you'll bring new meaning to your life and you'll have fun. That was Lawrence McDonald, author of the book, Am I Too Old to Save the Planet? A Boomer's Guide to Climate Action. Please tell the older people in your life about it. If you want to know more about Lawrence, please visit climateboomer.org. That's climateboomer.org. He tweets over on the social media platform, which is now called X, at Climate Boomer. Read his published essays on the long-form platform called Medium at Climate Boomer. And I hope this book will help you open up conversations with important people in your life. Next, I pass the mic to Peterson. Thank you, Horace and Karina, for telling us about those books. I will have links in the Spirit in Action show notes or just visit cclusa.org slash radio. That's cclusa.org slash radio. Coming up, you will hear my exclusive interview with actress Daryl Hannah. She is passionate about ending plastic pollution. So passionate that I had to bleep out some of her words. Stay tuned. I'm so grateful to Peterson Descano and his guest host from Citizens Climate Radio for sitting in for me today for Spirit in Action and for the rich and deep work they do in support of a livable, loving planet.
Those links they were just mentioning are on northernspiritradio.org, along with all the programs that they have shared via our show for these past nearly six years, and links to all our other guests since NSR started up in 2005. That makes 18 years of Spirit in Action and Song of the Soul, of world healers and soul soothers. Loosen up your fingers and type us comments on the show when you're listening to us. It buoys our spirits to hear from you. And if you feel led, a donation to make our work sustainable would be vastly appreciated. There are three words, northernspiritradio.org, to get you to us. I can see that Peterson is chomping at the bit, so I'll hand the mic back to him and his compatriots for part two of our Citizens Climate Radio guest hosting today. I have an exclusive interview with the actress and environmental activist Daryl Hannah. She will tell us about the new eco-Barbies. They are made out of mushrooms. Mattel intends to go 100% plastic-free by 2030. Hmm, sounds a little too good to be true. But first, we enter the world of TikTok. You know, that wildly popular social media app. According to the marketing firm Wallowroom Media, TikTok is available in over 160 countries, has over 1.1 billion users, and has been downloaded over 220 million times in the United States alone. Now that is a massive audience of people who could be inspired, challenged, and assisted in pursuing climate change solutions. But how do you reach them? Now I'm asking because I've been creating TikTok videos for over three years. I have nearly 90,000 followers. And they love it. When I talk about the time I spent in South Africa, some of my videos have gotten over 1 million views and thousands of comments. But whenever I do a TikTok about climate change, yeah, it's suddenly like I'm shadow banned and my content is blocked from users. I want to crack the TikTok climate communication conundrum. What better way to learn than to speak with expert content creators. Cyrus Ferguson is going to break down one of his wildly popular climate-themed TikToks. But first, I want you to meet an up-and-coming influencer. My name is Prachita. I go by Pratch as my nickname. Pratch is the way I usually introduce myself. Citizens Climate Radio team member Ruth Abraham introduced me to Pratch on Earth and her TikTok channel. Not only does Pratch create TikToks about climate change and sustainability, she also shares moments from her day-to-day life. She models what it means to be a climate advocate. Ruth sat down and spoke with Pratch about her TikTok content and tips she has for any one of us wanting to break into TikTok. I am an immigrant. I was born in India and I moved here when I was around two years old. I'm very grateful for the life that I've been provided here in America. I'm a climate activist. I work with CCL a lot. I also am involved in local community organizations. I'm also a content creator for social media. When you're 
prepping content and then pressing record all the way to pressing post button. What does that creative process look like to you? I'll write out a brief script in the notes app on my phone. And then I'll usually have to cut it down based off like the length of the video. That's how I would do voiceovers. If I were to just take like a talking video, I set up my ring light. I already have in my notes, I've written down Mm -hmm. a lot of things I want to say. I write down my script, I pull out my phone and I record things in the moment. Because I kind of feel like if I do write down a script way ahead of time, then I'll probably overthink it. And it's best to rather put more content out there than holding myself back because I don't think that it's perfect enough. It definitely helps to harness the energy of the moment to express your ideas in, in the best way that you can. I like the bit of spontaneity. I think that also performs really well on TikTok. What's the audience you're trying to attract? And then what message is it is that exactly that you're looking to direct towards them? People that maybe don't know what the next steps to take are. The younger group, maybe like high school students and even like college students or j- just young adults and teenagers, especially people before they become old enough to vote in elections. They do feel a sense of powerlessness they're passionate about helping the world and helping curb the climate crisis. People that already know that they care, but they're just maybe not sure on the little steps to take to get there. And so kind of showing me in action as well as like me behind the scenes in my day-to-day life, I'm kind of showing people that like, you know, your entire life, it doesn't even have to feel like a struggle. It's actually fun because you're connecting with all these like-minded people. I think with any social media platform and especially TikTok, there are the positive and the negative sides of it. First and foremost, the strong emotional tie that the younger generation feels towards TikTok is that it provides a safe space for them to be able to express themselves creatively. Thank you, Pratch and Ruth, for revealing some of the secrets of TikTok. You can follow Pratch on TikTok at Pratch on Earth. Pratch is spelled P-R-A-C-H. Pratch on Earth. Cyrus Ferguson is a content creator in New York City with a wildly popular series of TikToks. He calls them unintentional sculpture analysis. These make me laugh out loud. And with Unintentional Sculptural Analysis Part 13, it has nearly 200,000 views and 2,500 comments. Cyrus sounds so earnest as he looks at things on the street and applies a sophisticated art analysis to what he sees. Wading through piles of consumer waste, we find a mountain landscape formed from shattered asphalt, acknowledging that both our natural and urban environments are in crisis. I had to reach out to Cyrus about this series. The unintentional sculpture analysis, I think is it's just how my brain works. Like I think walking around New York is the most fascinating thing if you have your eyes open and maybe your headphones out. And so I think I'm always just kind of like looking for 
the unusual and the the interesting around New York, just walking around my neighborhood. Sometimes people ask me like, oh, do you ever stage it? Or do you ever think about staging it? I'm like, there's no need. The, like the things that you find, you you couldn't come up with a better idea or a better sculpture. So I noticed that that kind of like started jumping out to me, seeing these very moving or interesting compositions. For the first couple, I just was experimenting and, and trying it out and thought the idea of unintentional sculpture analysis was funny. Yeah, pretty much right away, it started to get people's attention and the algorithm found this, the right kind of person who'd be interested in it. What makes it work is that the art analysis sounds so authentic and his character is so sincere. I learned how to speak this language, this art speak dialect. I don't think I came away with any particular skills in painting or lithography. Learning to, to think in this way of like finding meaning and sometimes in a, in a little maybe overblown way became very natural. It's hearkening back to those like art school critiques where half of it is the thing that you made and then half of it is how do you present it, how do you explain it. I'm sort of, you know, lovingly poking fun at all the ways of speaking and vocabulary that you end up learning to use and ways of stringing ideas together. It's the character of this very intense analyst of art. It's not untrue. Like, I, I, I do believe what I'm saying. It's just, you know, there's a couple of levels of <laughs> performance or irony to it. Let's look at Unintentional Sculpture Analysis Part 13. It's only one minute and 11 seconds long, but it goes to silly and deep places. I asked Cyrus to explain what we see in the video. I'm walking down the street. This is right outside my laundromat. Well, the shopping cart, that's a dead giveaway. It's just on the street, right next to this huge stump, which I always find very sad. And then there's this beautiful, like, Mercedes-Benz vintage car. And then this DHL van pulls up with a windmill on it, which I wasn't able to get in the video, but my commenters let me know that should have been part of the analysis. So the DHL van, the shopping cart, the shorn off stump, piles of trash. Oh yeah, there's this like construction site, which it's all this broken up asphalt that felt very mountainous to me. There's these strange little mini trees and these planters, which I always thought were funny walking out of the laundromat and kind of indicative of this very controlled way that we interact with nature in the city. And then I saw this one-way sign. I looked across the street and there's this new gym that's called Reform. A perfect word, a perfect button to, to end the video on. Okay, you have a visual of this New York City street corner, and now Cyrus and his Unintentional Sculptural Analysis, Part 13. Welcome back to Unintentional Sculpture Analysis. This piece clearly depicts the ravages of climate change. First, we are confronted by our historic obliteration of nature. Then, a buttercream bends with California plates, the fading American dream of never-ending expansion. The artist pairs this symbol with a DHL van. 
the ultimate symbol of having anything we want delivered around the world whenever we want it, and an empty, all-black shopping cart exposing the ultimate hollowness and blight of this fantasy. Wading through piles of consumer waste, we find a mountain landscape formed from shattered asphalt, acknowledging that both our natural and urban environments are in crisis. The nature that we have left is relegated to ever-shrinking plots of land, and yet still it grows hardy, vibrant, while government action has consisted largely of half-hearted warnings and dysfunction. The one way through this disaster is to shine a light and cross the road to large-scale reform. The many comments to this video reveals that Cyrus has found a way to reach his audience with climate change messaging. But why TikTok and not some other format? I started experimenting with short-form video, with TikTok in particular, because it is this kind of extraordinary, mysterious platform and like way of reaching people. And I think I was just at first making whatever ideas were coming to me that, that I found funny or interesting or inspiring in some way. Like Pratch already mentioned, humor is a key component with many of the serious topics covered on TikTok. That means there is a place in the climate movement for the class clown. Some of us are born to be the research scientists who, God bless them, are, are <laughs> doing so much. But some of us are, you know, little jokesters. And that, that doesn't mean that we can't be involved in the greater kind of push towards this. <laughs> so are you thinking you might want to try your own climate change TikToks? Cyrus Ferguson provides us with insights he has gained through his own TikTok content experience. You have to follow your intuition and your personal taste and interest and f follow that thing, follow that curiosity. This idea came about because of studying Marcel Duchamp in school and watching an episode of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Somehow, in between, this idea emerged. I haven't seen someone do something quite like it on TikTok. It's impossible to kind of like give people a template to what's going to be good content. Ultimately, the things that are the most personal that only you could have come up with or only you could have put into motion at this specific time, it, that's what's going to be the best content, what's going to, I think, really connect with people to find that like personal specificity and strive for originality over, oh, this person is successfully doing this format, let me transpose it and, and do it myself. It may work, but it's going to feel more rewarding if it's, it's something that feels personal. What's been really interesting to me about unintentional sculpture analysis and the way that people have received it is that I believe it shows that there's an appetite for imagination and for play. That's sort of the opposite of where our minds usually go when we're 
talking about something serious and something like climate change. We feel strongly people need to hear this. People need to do something. This is this is really grave. That's so true. We can engage with things that are weighty, but it doesn't have to be so dark or serious all the time. There's a way to engage with these things that can be through a lens of imagination. And that might be, honestly, a easier shortcut to some of these things. There's something about using imagination and play, which I think is what people enjoy about watching these videos, is that I'm kind of inviting them to play. I'm inviting them to pretend with me. That was Cyrus Ferguson. Follow him on TikTok at Cyrus Ferguson. Or just do a Google search for unintentional sculpture analysis. You will totally find him. Our good news story today comes from Barbie Land, or Malibu, or I guess Hollywood. I speak with Daryl Hannah. She's appeared in many hit films, including Splash, Kill Bill Volumes 1 and 2, and in Blade Runner. You have good news, an announcement from the Mattel Corporation. They hope to support a global ban on plastics. It's really what needs to be done. Barbie and I are about the same age, except she will never die. Really, during my lifetime, Barbie and over one billion of her friends have been abandoned in our landfills and waterways where they will live on forever. Unfortunately, we've all learned that plastic waste is everywhere. It's in the water we drink, the food we eat, even inside our bodies. And recycling won't fix it. I am proud to announce that by 2030, all Mattel toys will be plastic-free, starting with the iconic Barbie doll. In just a few years, Barbie will be made of totally compostable materials. Mattel will also support a federal ban on all plastics in kids' toys and on single-use plastics. To mark this incredible shift, Mattel is releasing a new line of limited edition eco-warrior Barbies, commemorating the real-world heroes of the environmental struggle, with one even named after me. Hopefully, others will follow suit immediately so that they can stay competitive. It just makes sense. It does. And it's just fantastic. It is. And why are you so passionate about this particular issue? Well, I've been engaged in all aspects of fighting for our planet, our planet's inhabitants, um, not just the humans, but the other creatures as well, and our ecosystems for pretty much most of my adult life. It's not even something that I consciously have decided to do. It's something I can't not do. When you love something, you want to protect it. Our planet has everything we need to live and thrive and survive. And if we could just manage to take care of it, to give it the love and respect and care that it needs, it can support us beautifully. Like we could not create a better planet than this water popping out of the ground and fruit popping out of trees and food jumping out of the earth. And I mean, it's just phenomenal. 
It's such an incredible place. We just need to treat it with respect, treat it mindfully, not do stupid shit like cut it all down and fill it with poisons and mine it all up and, and, and release more poisons. And that's what we've been doing for the last several decades. And we just need to stop doing it because now we are actually reaping what we have sowed and we've seen that the damage that it is causing us. And if we don't turn ourselves around really fast and stop doing those stupid things, we're, we're f- sorry to swear on your radio show. I don't know. <laughs> if you, uh- <laughs> I can sort that out. For decades, girls, women, many drag queens have been pressured to be modeled to look like Barbie. And how does it feel to be the person who has influenced how Barbie looks now that there is a Daryl Hannah eco Barbie? I I don't think they had to go too far from (laughs) their original doll to sort of do their doll of me since she already had, you know, my kind of height and coloring and whatnot. But the important part of it is to show that kids, they already have the common sense to know that they want to protect animals. They want to protect the things that they love and they want to protect the earth. The kids have taken on the bulk of the responsibility in the last couple of years and really have have been the ones who are serious and like, don't leave us this mess that you guys created. You got to straighten this. I'm going to swear again. You got to straighten this out. We don't want to, you know, take on your garbage. It's a beautiful thing that, that, that kids seem to know, you know, what time it is. The action figure they made in your likeness has an accessory that yeah. goes along with her. Two accessories, I believe. I have a few accessories. Well, I have a mermaid tail, so I can do my work in the ocean. I have a monkey wrench. I have some uh, handcuffs, but you actually, in fact, I used chains when I changed myself to a tree at the South Central Farm. And I have I have a snorkel, so I can also you know go and check out under the ocean. I have a few. I have a few. Uh, not where my toy is, but I, have a, I definitely have a few um, non-plastic, biodegradable tools. Thank you. Thank you so much for uh, playing along with this wonderful spoof of the, uh, the Barbie Liberation Organization. I'm thrilled that they're updating their message they won from their last battle about gender roles and voices, and now they've they, uh, stepped up to the next fight. It's all one thing, you know, just trying to get ourselves to live in a world that functions with more common sense. Well, thank you so much for being on Citizens Climate Radio. Thank you very much for having me. That was Daryl Hanna playing along with a spoof organized by the BLO, or the Barbie Liberation Organization. They are also known as the Yes Men. In 1993, the BLO infamously swapped the voice boxes out of talking Barbie dolls with G.I. Joe action figure voices. They then repackaged these and returned them to toy store shelves. Of course, they're back again taking on plastic pollution. To see their hilarious video spoofs, including the fake TV ads for the Eco Barbie collection, visit barbieliberation.org. For links to news stories about the hoax and video of my complete interview with Daryl Hanna, visit cclusa.org radio. If you have good news you want to share on our show, email me, radio at citizensclimate.org. That's radio at citizensclimate.org.
Thank you so much for joining me here on Spirit in Action. If you want to connect with me, visit my website, petersontoscano.com. And if you listen to podcasts, definitely subscribe to Citizens Climate Radio. You can hear us wherever you get podcasts. To learn more about our show, just visit cclusa.org slash radio. Here at Citizens Climate Education, we want you to be effective in the climate work you do. So we provide training, local group meetings, and many resources. They're all designed to help you build the confidence and skills you need to pursue climate solutions. There is no reason to feel helpless in addressing the causes and the impacts of climate change. We use our voices to be heard in our democracy. This simple act transforms us from spectators to engaged citizens. And let me tell you, action is an antidote to despair. We are volunteer-driven, trusting volunteers to make important decisions. Each of us is essential to solving climate change. We have chapters in every congressional district in the USA, as well as chapters around the world. Find out actions you can take today and learn how you can connect with like-minded people. Visit cclusa.org. That's cclusa.org. We really need you and the special set of gifts, experiences, and perspectives that you bring to the table. And thank you for listening to Spirit in Action. It is such an honor to be guest host today. Looking for a burst of inspiration and encouragement? Are you a climate advocate hungry to hear climate advocates' stories of success? Want to improve your climate communication skills? If so, tune into Citizens Climate Radio, a climate change podcast. Learn, laugh, and gain a greater appreciation for a variety of climate work. You can find Citizens Climate Radio wherever you listen to podcasts or visit our website, cclusa.org slash radio. Well, that's it for today for our guest hosts, Peterson Toscano and the friends of Citizens Climate Radio. And it was such an amazing job they did. They will be back in three months, but you can follow up right now via links you'll find on northernspiritradio.org. Support them, support us, and do your own work for the future of our planet. And we'll see you next week for Spirit in Action. The theme music for this program is Turning of the World, performed by Sarah Thompson. Check out all things Spirit in Action on northernspiritradio.org. Guests, links, stations, and a place for your feedback, suggestions, and support. Thanks for listening. I'm Mark Helpsmeet, and I hope you find deep roots to support you to grow steadily toward the light. This is Spirit in Action. With every voice, with every song, we will move this world along, and our lives will feel the echo of our healing.